And Will Manso here with a special edition of the Miami Sports Pod. This is actually your Miami Sports Pod, Miami Marlins 2021 season preview as we tape this on opening day 2021. And after last year and all the uncertainty surrounding COVID-19, the start of the season pushed back, the shortened season, the great run by the Marlins. Here we are in what is projected to be a full 162-game season. So as the opener approaches, uh, I wanted to give my season prediction. I normally do this in writing with an extensive preview, but given that we've got the capabilities here with the podcast, I figured, you know what, if you're a Marlins fan and you want to listen to my take and some of the breakdown, it's easier to do this way. Uh, I will certainly be posting this on Local10.com and giving the uh, win total. I, try, I take pride every year in trying to get as close as I can. Last year was actually the first time in about four years that I was really off on the prediction. I said last year that the Marlins were to win 25, 26 games. I think I ended up saying 25. They ended up winning 31, which obviously doesn't sound like much, but in the 60-game season, it was a winning record and enough to make the playoffs. So the follow-up question to everything is, what do the Marlins do for an encore? And spent much of the spring having a chance to watch this team uh, you know, through the highlights, through video that our photographers shot, and in conversations with Don Mattingly, Miguel Rojas, uh, listening to the daily Zooms of the players and the updates on what they expect. And when you look at this roster going into this season, the Marlins are talented. I think that's what I take away uh, most entering this year. This is a good baseball team. I don't care what Vegas says about 70 wins or 68 wins or the last in the division. The Marlins could end up being last in the NL East and still finish as one of the best, I'd say, 15, 16 teams in baseball. That is how tough the NL East is. Much of this spring training, you heard players, you heard Don Maddenly, uh, you heard Derek Jeter talking about this is a black and blue division. I think you could say, sure, you could say arguably, but I don't even think there's much of an argument that this is the best division in baseball top to bottom. There's not a bad team in this division. You know, the Mets spent all the money and they just this week signed Francisco Lindor to that $340 million contract. Uh, obviously, they made moves uh, to improve, and that is a good team on paper. The Braves have actually, in a way, been a little underrated, I think, this offseason. I think people forget how good the Braves are. They've got the MVP in Freeman, a future MVP in Acuna. They've got, I think, good enough pitching. I've seen a lot of predictions say that they're on a 500 team. I think the Braves are certainly a team that could win the NL East. Phillies, uh, keeping Real Muto was a big deal. And, you know, they obviously have some talent on that team and some hitting. Uh, Bryce Harper's still a stud. And when you look at what they can provide, and then, you know, you look at the Nationals. The Nationals still have Scherzer. He's getting older, but he can still toss it. You know, Strasburg's a little questionable about as far as his injury is how, how he's going to look. But I think they've got enough hitting. They've got one of the best young players in the game in Juan Soto. I think Josh Bell is a player that, that is going to add a lot to their lineup. So when you look at the rest of the division, this is a stacked National League East. But when you look at the Marlins, which I'm going to spend the next 15, 20 minutes doing, I don't see a lot of weaknesses on this team for the way this roster was built. Let's get this out of the way. The Marlins don't have a superstar. Duh. They haven't had a superstar since the days of Giancarlo Stanton, you know, Kristen uh, Yelich, JT Romuto. Once the new regime came in and made those moves to try to improve the farm system, it did away with the so-called star player. Could the Marlins use a Ronald Acuna? You know, that type of player. Uh, Juan Soto, sure, who couldn't? But those, you could count those kind of players on one hand. 
The Marlins do not have that in their system right now, and they don't have that on their major league roster. Those are unicorns. Those are, those are just things that just aren't easy to just get. But what the Marlins decided they were going to do was develop their young talent, which is now one of the top farm systems in baseball, have the young talent eventually reach the show, which a few of them have, and we'll certainly talk a little bit about the guys, mostly arms, but obviously Jazz Chisholm winning the job, the second base job, and then develop the farm system so you have that depth to eventually have those guys at the big league club. And as Derek Cheater has said, plug in spots with veterans. How do they do that? Here's a perfect example. Last year they went out and they got Starling Marte, big part of their playoff run. Marte is a proven player at the major league level, more than capable, above average player at one time, an all-star. And I think when healthy can be an all-star again, they kept them. They met that salary for this year. They gave them over 10 million. They made sure to keep them for this year. Now, is he a guy, a centerpiece guy that they're going to sign long-term? No, that's not the way the Marlins are going to do business. They're going to have, as Derek Jeter again has said, they're going to fill in gaps with quality players until their young players are ready. They needed a presence in the outfield. They got it in Starling Marte kept them for this 2021 season. And I think with Corey Dickerson and the addition of Adam Duvall, who they quite frankly got at a discount, Marlins have a nice outfield. Now what the Marlins don't have is much depth in that outfield. Youngsters like Sierra and obviously Lewis Brinson, who's, it's a make or break year for Lou. And, you know, I, I, I love the guy. And I think he's worked hard to try to get to be a consistent player. It could just be that he'll be a fourth, fifth outfielder type for his entire career. That is what, is going, what he's going to start this season as. But on this team, when you've got a guy like Dickerson, you may want to sit now and then. Obviously, he's not going to play 160 games. When you've got a guy like Marte who's coming off the injury, a guy that you would hope plays 150-plus, but you want to be careful with him. And then a guy like Duvall, who's a high strikeout, low-average guy, but they could certainly slug it. He's going to need his off days. Sierra and Brinson are going to have to play. And, you know, God forbid an injury to those three starters I mentioned, they're going to have to play a lot. And I think that's where a concern becomes, you know, the depth isn't there. You know, Sanchez isn't ready at the major league level yet. Uh, Jesus Sanchez, when you look at the young players the Marlins have, they're not quite there yet. You know, J.J. Bladé's name, you heard a lot of in the spring. He is still obviously not at the major league level. Monte Harrison is not a kid anymore. I mean, he's, what, 25 years old. They, at some point, he needs to prove he could be at this level. Hasn't done that yet because of his high strikeout rate, his inability to make contact consistently. He may be a guy you call up and have to count on at some point during the season. So that, that is certainly a concern. But let's start with the bread and butter for the Marlins, the pitching. They have one of the best, you know, you, you, I'll say best young rotations in baseball, but I, I think you could just say best rotations, right? I don't think you even have to couch it with saying young. The Marlins can flat out pitch. I mean, this is a, well, you got Sandy Alcantara, you know, jumping out there on opening day with as good a stuff right now as he's developed the way his pitches move, his velocity being at what it is. I think Sandy's ready to take a step. But you go right through that and you look at Pablo Lopez, the consistency you'll get there. Uh, Eliezer Hernandez. You know, Hernandez is, is a guy that they got and kind of was discounted and forgotten, and now he's a key piece of the rotation. Sixto is not going to start the season right off the bat. You know, he's going to get a little bit of time. He'll pitch about a week and a half into the season. They're being careful with him. Look, they've got to limit his innings regardless uh, they knew that going in. So him not starting till a week and a half, two weeks in the season is not the end of the world. You've got to be careful with your prize possession. Uh, but we saw already what Sixto can do, the electric arm he has. And if you baby him to a certain amount of innings, that's fine. But he is just so, so electric. 
And now with the number 45 and looking like Pedro's idol, I can't wait to see him take the mound, you know, every fifth day. And, and eventually, again, you got to be careful as the season goes on, depending on if you are in the playoff race. And obviously, even if they're not where they are, Sixto's arm and his, his health is something you've got to monitor. Uh, and then I think the wild card in all this that not enough people talk about outside of South Florida is Trevor Rogers. You know, anybody I talked to this spring, and Don Manley in particular, when you talk about arms that are ready to really take the leap, you got a 6'5 lefty coming from that side, that first base side is just nasty the way he pitches. Here's a young guy that I think could be a 13, 14 game winner. I really do. I think he's the kind of guy that can make that kind of step. He's also young. I mean, let's, uh, you know, I, I look at the date of birth of these guys. And this guy was born the year I graduated from college. He's a, he's a young guy, you know, 22 years old, 23 years old. This rotation is all in that range. You know, these are kids. These are truly just kids right now in that 23 range that are so good and so electric. And, and it excites you. You look at the date of birth, Alcantara 95, Pablo Lopez 96, you know, Trevor Rogers 97. Sixto 98. <laughs> these, are, these are kids in their early 20s that are already on this major league staff. And I think as a Marlins fan, you have to be excited. So I think Sandy takes this, is the kind of guy who could take a step up and win 15 games, be the all-star, be the ace. The flip side to that, being an ace, is you're going to deal with the aces from other clubs. And in this division, I already mentioned, you know, the, the pitching. When you look, you know, you look at having to deal with Scherzer. You look at having to deal with DeGrom. Uh, you look at those challenges that you're going to have, and Sandy's going to have those challenges from game one, opening day against a tough Rays team right off the bat. But I think he's up to the challenge. And, and when you look at the staff, obviously depth and health is a concern because when you have young arms, not that you need to baby all of them, but you certainly can't expect these guys are going to all give you 200 innings. That's just not the way it works. Uh, you have to be careful. I think the Marlins have a good plan. I think they, they're aware of that. They're aware that while the short term is, yeah, you want to make another playoff push. You got a taste of that last year. You want it again. At the same time, big picture, this is just year two, and you're almost a year ahead because you made the playoffs. Year two of what you hope is a plan where within the next five years, you're a World Series contender. And, and I think that's what you look at as a Marlins fan is like, yeah, with these arms, the young bats hopefully on the way. We've, you know, I mentioned Bladet, Peyton Burdick, Connor Scott. Uh, what becomes of Monte Harrison if he could develop? They have a number of young bats that really can be production. Look, Luan Diaz, Jesus Sanchez. Uh, these are kids that even if they don't hit on all of them, if you just hit on a few uh, with the guys they already have at the level, if Jazz Chisholm becomes what they expect him to be, won the starting job, second base job this spring, this could be a really good team in the next three to four years, a World Series type contender, a team that already got the taste of the playoffs that wants more. So you got to be careful with those y'all arms. Let's jump to the bullpen before we get to the bats. Look, Anthony Bass is a veteran who comes in and he'll, he's going to be the closer from day one. But this bullpen really is about, you know, I've used that D word, depth, a bunch already. This bullpen really is about depth. Now, Anthony Bass is your closer, but Yumi Garcia, who looked really good last year, getting Dylan Floral with the playoff experience. Richard Blyer, who they have as a lefty that they like. You know, John Curtis, uh, well, who's, who's, who's pitched so much. It seems like he's pitched on every team in this division. Adam Simber. You know, you look at the arms that they had. This is a really nice balanced bullpen. If you can get those starters into the sixth with quality work and give you those quality starts, you like your chances on the back end to stay in games for those arms to keep you in games. 
I like that bullpen. I like that that was a priority from Kim Ang and from Derek Jeter in the front office. They really prioritized getting the bullpen because they knew if you're going to limit innings on young pitchers, right, and you know that your young pitchers are your, your bread and butter for the future and the key to your future, that you can't just throw them out there expecting them to go seven, eight innings every time. You need arms with experience, you know, depth, firepower, lefty-righty combos, all that stuff that you need to be able to use night in and night out, day in, day out, game in, game out. And the Marlins have done that. I thought that if their priority, as they said, and Kim Eng said it many times, was to improve the bullpen, they did it. They did it through numbers and strength in numbers, but they did it through experience as well. Some of these guys have playoff experience. Some of these guys have big game experience. And I like the fact where, where I mentioned earlier that the arms and the starters are 96, 97, 98 birth years. The Marlins' pen birth years are 87, 90, 90, 87, 93, 86. You're talking about guys now that are in their 30s. And these are the kind of guys that have been in baseball a long time and have seen it all. And they're the kind of guys that can really stabilize the middle to late innings. And Don Manley has those options. And I love what they've done with that. So that really balances out your games. Your kids with their electric arms get in there. You hope they get into that sixth inning, give you those quality starts you know, some nights into the seventh or get you through six. And then you go to those veteran guys. And I feel comfortable with the bullpen. I do. When you hit, to the hitting, to the offense, is where I think, you know, I think most people have questions because they don't have that sexy bat. They don't have that big slugger, that stud that's going to hit you 40 homers knocking 120. But what they do have is what Don Manley has spent the spring calling a nice balance, just a really nice balance in the lineup. And when you look at the bats that they have, you know, the middle of the lineup is solid. You know, you, what, what Brian Anderson has become just a really good, consistent player who, by the way, has even more room for improvement. Having him and Starling Marte and Duvall and Dickerson as the middle of your lineup with Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar, you know, whoever is there at first base, you know, every game, that stretch from two to six is good. Is good. You know, again, not scary, not 40 home runs, but just good balance the lefty-righty ability, the, the opportunity to – the guys that are smart, capable hitters that know how to get guys over. You know, when you go to Dickerson and Coop, Aguilar, Brian Anderson, you get down to the lower parts of the lineup and you get into Miggy and Jazz Chisholm and these guys. These are good quality major league hitters. And Alfaro is a guy that you wonder what you have there. You know, that's certainly a question of how consistent he can be. I think the catching position is one that I thought maybe the Marlins might try to address. You know, there were, there were all kinds of Wilson Contreras rumors in the offseason that never really developed. But Alfaro's got his opportunity and what likely is his last chance. Like, he needs to show that he can be the guy that he's, he's shown he could hit. I mean, he's a big dude who could slug it. But can he do it consistently over the course of the season? You know, Chad Wallach's a capable backup, but you can't count on Chad Wallach. That can't be who they count on. They need Alfaro to be consistent and to be a guy that can, that can produce. And he has shown the ability in stretches, but can he do it? And I think that's a question. But, again, when you look at this lineup, I really like the balance of the lineup. I expect, like I said, Sandy Alcantara to take a step up. I expect Brian Anderson to take a step up. I think he can be even more. I think he can be a 20-plus homer, 100-RBI type guy. I do. I think that's his capability. I think the one-two punch 
with Jesus Aguilar and, and Garrett Cooper at first is great. I think no team, probably Major League Baseball, was hurt more by the lack of DH in the National League this year as it was just a one-year thing than the Marlins. Because in keeping Aguilar and not trading Cooper, they lose out on a guy that would be a great DH every single game. Uh, they don't have it. You know, and there was talk about Coop in the outfield in spring, and that I don't think that really is something that materialized. And uh, It would be beautiful to have Aguilar and Coop in every game. I mean, it's just the way you would ideally want it to be. I mean, that's just those guys provide your pop. They're big dudes that can crush it. We saw it in the playoffs last year. Such a big force, each of them having so many big hits in that Cubs series and that Cubs sweep in that first round, you know. Uh, I, that's something that Dom Madley is going to have to figure out how to do. I mentioned the depth in the outfield with, you know, Dickerson Duvall and, you know, Marte are your guys, right? That's your, that's your team. But, you know, Coop is a guy that will likely have to see time in right field. You have to get his bat in there now and then. If that's the way you work him in now and then, I think you have to. You can't – I don't think Aguilar and Cooper are guys that could sit on the veg very long because they just – they offer too much offensively for a team that, quite frankly, despite the balance – yeah, I think that's the one spot you say to yourself, do they have enough offensively? To me, they do. Uh, I think they have to be smart about it, though, to make sure they get their bats in those, those lineups when they can. And also, look, this is a team that's going to move runners over. You know, they're very smart about taking the extra base from a base running perspective. They're going to do things the right way. We saw it last year. It's a big reason why they made the playoffs. This is a smart team offensively to try to muster runs. Uh, they're not going to outslug every team, but I like their chances to have opportunity to score runs game in and game out. I really don't think this is a bad offense. I think this is a good offense with the capability to be an above average offense. Uh, and I think part of it is, you know, health, uh, keeping a lot of those guys, because when you have a low payroll team with young guys that are still developing the minors, the one thing you tend to have is, sure, there are some depth issues. The good thing for the Marlins is, you know, if – one of those outfielders went down. I mentioned Brinson and Sierra. Could they deal with it daily? You could then turn to a Cooper in right field. You could certainly give that an option and leave Aguilar at first. Those are things that, you know, if those problems arise, it'll be there. Those situations, you'll have those opportunities. But again, consistently, you're going to see Dickerson, Marte, Duvall, um, Jesus Aguilar, and Garrett Cooper be that force along with your consistent guy in Brian Anderson. Now, Duvall is a guy that they picked up and, look, Duvall is your classic slugger. He's the kind of guy that if he plays 140 games, roughly, you know, let's say you get him 135, 140 games, he's going to hit 30 home runs. He just is. He may hit 40. Uh, he is just a slugger. And he's going to swing and miss. His average is not going to be high. It's just who he is. He, he may hit 225. You would hope he's in the 230, 240 range. If he can get up there and hit home runs, you love it. I mean, you're, you're happy uh, because he's going to knock in runs. He's going to be the guy that in the middle of the game when it's a 3-1 game and you're down, that he can make it a 3-3, 4-3 game in a hurry with one swing of the bat. And that's why you get him. And again, you got him on the cheap. You didn't have to spend long term. You didn't have to pay him big bucks. He is perfect for that fill-in guy that Derek Jeter mentioned, the fill-in-the-gap guys until the Bladets and the Connor Scotts and the Peyton Burdicks and Cameron Misners and those guys and you know Victor Mesas and Luan Diaz. Jesus Sanchez, go on and on until these guys are ready. That's the type of player that's a great fill-in. And now let's get to the main mystery, Jazz Chisholm. You know, uh, Jazz is electric. Derek Cheater said he had superstar quality. And if I've learned anything about Derek Cheater in the few years he's been here is he doesn't just throw out predictions or words like nothing. You know, like you and I will just make, you know, say kind of hyperboles and exaggerations. That's not the way Derek Cheater speaks. If he says that Jazz Chisholm has superstar potential, Jazz Chisholm has superstar potential. 
And, you know, when they got him and they traded away a nice pitcher to get him and Gallon, and they, you know, they, all of a sudden you say, okay, what can this kid bring? You saw it right away. He's got an electric smile, plays the game hard, infectious personality, great attitude, just loves the game. And oh, by the way, kid's talented as hell. I mean, he can really, really play. And when you look at him and what he is, you know, what he's become, and just now in his early 20s, you know, just in earning the job now, what, 23 years old, opening day, second baseman. A guy that, you know, comfortable at short, but he's playing second base because Miggy Rowe anchors shortstop and he's so comfortable over there. But you look at what Jazz can be. Jazz can be special. But I would temper my expectations as a rookie. Uh, to put too much weight on Jazz is unfair. He's going to have his ups and downs. And I think the Marlins know that. He's going to need patience, and I think the Marlins know that. But I think what they also know is that if you go and you ride those ups and downs and you don't put too much on his plate, he's, there were so many guys that I just mentioned that are consistent hitters at the major league level with experience, they can pick up the slack for stretches where Jazz has three or four games where he goes, you know, one for 10 or 12. Or, you know, he's just having a hard time making contact or getting on base, and it's going to happen. But I think if you ride out those waves – I think Jazz, when it's all said and done, it's the kind of guy you could look back at the end of the season and say, man, he hit about 260, you know? He stole double-digit bases, made some big, nice plays in the field, showed some nice bop and knocked out 15 homers for, for a second baseman who's making it in his rookie year. And I think if he has that kind of season and you deal with the ups and downs, man, you, you're winning. You're winning with him in his rookie year. What you hope to avoid, like any young players, that they just flame out and you got to send them to the minors. I know the Marlins will be patient. You know, Isan is a guy they tried to be patient with, and then he opted out. They he, last year was a weird year for him. I I say this, you know, I I, I hate to say I've lost all hope for Isan as a part of the, the framework of this franchise and the core, but I don't think he is anymore. And maybe it, he'll go down to the minors and play well, and maybe Jazz doesn't play well, and they get the urge to say, okay, let's give Isan one more shot. But I'm not counting on that. Uh, I really think this is Jazz's job, and I think he showed it in the spring, and I think he's shown it with his body of work at the minor league level. And I think Isan has shown that he's a talented player that just hasn't really put it together at the upper levels. It could be where he is, and I hate to compare to Lewis Brinson because they came in the same trade, and I'm not trying to, you know, talk about that trade because obviously that hasn't been a great one for the Marlins from a player perspective yet, but maybe he's just the kind of guy that can hit well in the minors, but he's just not a major league player consistently every day. Uh, it could just be, that's the case. It happens all the time. So, but jazz is a guy to watch. He's electric. He's fun jazz on offense and Trevor Rogers and on the, on the staff and in pitching are the two guys that you used to look at, you know, while Sixto is going to get all the attention nationally, deservedly being so electric. Those are the guys that I think are kind of keys to this team, what they could do as the season goes on. So when you look at the big picture, the National League East is, East is tough. It just is. It's brutal. It's black and blue. Marlins last year, 31 and 29, had a winning record first time in over a decade. It was great to see. Most people expect this is going to be a losing team. Most people on the outside expect this is going to be the worst team in the National League. I mentioned earlier, the worst team in the National League could still be a top 15, 16 team in baseball from a talent uh, perspective and roster perspective because the NL East is so tough. Uh, my season prediction on the Marlins is this. I don't think the Marlins are going to make the playoffs this year. And, and that's okay. It's sometimes you take a step back in development because you do ride out those young guys and, you know, young arms. Guys are going to get hurt. Things are going to happen. You have to be careful with Sixto. 
Could there be something where Sandy or Pablo has a setback and Trevor Rogers? These are things you just have to prepare yourself for over the course of an 162 game season. You don't get through a season without something happening. The Marlins will likely have, like all teams, something happen. They're not in a position to spend big money right now. They're not in a position they're going to make a big acquisition. They're not, obviously, didn't make a huge splash in free agency. They filled really good gaps in what they needed in the bullpen. That's the way this team is built. But I do think this team is still going to be better than most expect. I don't think this is going to be just a 70-win team, 72-win team, like some people have, 74-win team. I have the Marlins at 79 and 83. Uh, a little consistency here and there from those guys that I mentioned. It could be 83 and 79. But as we go into the season, I've got the Marlins at 79 and 83. I've got them hanging around with the big boys in the National League East, so to speak, because I think they are one of the big boys in the National League East. I think this is a team on the rise. I think it's a team that's building a really nice nucleus. I think so much of the Marlins' success this season will also depend – for the future on the success of the minor league system. How do all those young names I mentioned earlier develop at the minor league level? How does a Max Meyer look in his first season in the minor leagues, a guy with an electric arm that's got a huge future in this rotation? Uh, that is something to look forward to. That's the fun of this team right now, right? I think you're going to enjoy, and I think we're going to enjoy watching them at the major league level. But I think as much, I'm going to enjoy seeing the highlights and reading the scouting reports and seeing the box scores, of how the young guys are doing at the minor league level. So as they enter the new season, I think this is a team that's going to be better than most expect. I think this is a team that can flirt with 500 and be in that race throughout. I think it's a team that's going to be careful with their youth, though, and they're not going to push things just for the sake of trying to make the playoffs. They're going to be careful with their young talent, their young arms. And I think the, the Miami Marlins will finish this season at 79 and 83 and, again, continue to grow as one of the better young teams, franchises, organizations in baseball. All right, so that's your special Miami Sports Pod with your Miami Marlins 2021 season preview. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always uh, send me a tweet. My work account is at WillManSoWPLG. Uh, Clay and I will be back this weekend with our regular Miami Sports Pod. We appreciate you listening and subscribing. And play ball. Enjoy the 2021 season.